Hi, it's Jamie. And I'm Portia. And we are Just Two Pearls. Join us for Adventures in Pearls. Our reflection today is by Lucille Clifton, who lived from 1936 to 2010. And it is a poem called, Won't You Celebrate With Me? Won't you celebrate with me what I have shaped into a kind of life? I had no model. Born in Babylon, both non-white and woman, what did I see to be except myself? I made it up. Here on this bridge between starshine and clay, my one hand holding tight my other hand, come celebrate with me that every day something has tried to kill me and has failed. Thus ends the reflection. All right, Jamie. I like that poem. Wasn't that good? That was really good. What yeah, a way to start the second on our season. Yes. Season two, y'all. We made it, Jamie. We made it. Right. And um, tomorrow, September 23rd, is technically Pearls. That's our one-year Pearl anniversary. So you all have been rocking with us for 365 days. Thank you very much. Thanks. <laughs> We're so <laughs> grateful. Like, we're so, so grateful. And today, you know, we're kind of like, kind of going back to what we did in our first show, interviewing each other and re-talking about what's going on, Jamie. 365 days has passed, and we are absolutely not the same pearls fresh out of the oyster, you know, clam pearls. Remember that joke, the clam pearls? <laughs> I was not at our producer, <laughs> who was like, oh, you guys came out of clams. <laughs> <laughs> you remember that? So we're not the same clam pearls, but, you know, we fresh out the oysters as we were cultivated a year ago. We are in new spaces, and we have transitioned into new spaces, and so that's what we're going to talk a little bit about today. Jamie and I are in new adventures, for real. And so instead of doing just um, a short uh, reflection well, we did a reflection, but instead of doing a short adventure, today it's going to be all about the adventure that Jamie and I are on. And we are so excited to share what we're doing, what we're up to, and just even some pearls of wisdom and what we've learned over the past year. So, you know, Jamie, tell everybody what you're up to. Yeah, sure. So the past year to 65 days has been really interesting because when Portia and I sat down last August, August of 2016, I guess, to kind of talk about what we wanted to do with this podcast. Both of us were in a place where we were like, we don't want to be in Hartford, Connecticut. Not that we were both in Hartford, but we were recording the show in Hartford at the time. We don't want to be in Hartford, Connecticut at this time next year, which was a weird thing to say because we were just getting into this new, uh, like, working relationship with each other that we were really excited about. So it was kind of weird to say, like, but we don't want to be here with each other next year. But that's not really what it meant. It meant more, like, we want to see ourselves in very different spaces. And so for me, even from the moment that I showed up to Connecticut in August of 2012 to start our adventure at Yale Divinity School, I was ready to get out of Connecticut. I had already spent four years outside of Boston, uh, attending Wellesley College. Yale felt like a very similar school. It was a good fit for me. I talked about on our first episode last season about how I knew that God had called me to be a student at YBS. So I knew that it was where I was supposed to be. But you all, I love a lot of people in Connecticut. I do appreciate Yale Divinity School. I don't so much appreciate the state of Connecticut as much as others do. No shade to Connecticut. God bless Connecticut. I've had the most professional and even personal growth of my life in Connecticut, so I'm really grateful. Um, but I just don't really like Connecticut life. And, you know, growing up in Northern Virginia, I was more used to being in a place that had kind of a different pace of life um, where there was perhaps a little bit more diversity of people, even within small spaces, where um, restaurants were, like, open after six. Um, <laughs> and, That's real. Uh, and honestly, like, like I said, I love Yale. I love my undergrad, Wellesley. I love what they offered me. But I was ready. I wanted to be back in an academic environment, but I didn't want to be in the particular sort of academic environment that Yale and Wellesley are. Um, and what I mean by that is, 
that they're great institutions, but they're New England institutions that prioritize, yes, they're liberal institutions, but they prioritize white neoliberalism above all else at the expense of people of color, at the expense of women. And so especially if you're at the intersection of perhaps coming from a poorer background, coming from a woman background, <laughs> coming from a black background, it's at your expense. And so you can get great things out of the institution. And I'm not saying that people shouldn't go to those institutions. Obviously, I did, and I learned, and I thrived, and I'm grateful. Um, but it was time for me to be removed from the sort of academic environment that exists, especially in the New England area that we were living in. And so um, I'm really both thrilled and kind of apprehensive and scared because I guess God heard me. And God not only removed me from Connecticut, but removed me from the East Coast entirely. And so what we have to tell you all is that our show is now bi-coastal. Uh, I'll let Portia get into her story of where she's living in a moment, but I'm now living in Los Angeles, California. Um, because I was, uh, God did allow me to open another academic door, which is something that I wanted. So I'm a student again. Um, I'm at the University of California in Los Angeles. Um, which is a great school and a really big public research university. Um, so I'm really excited about the opportunity. Uh, Portia, I have to tell you that when I showed up here, um, I was like, okay, God, but you got jokes. Because, <laughs> yes, UCLA is in California. Yes, it's in Los Angeles. Yes, it's all the way across the country from Yale. Yes, it's a, um, a major public university, right, which I'm um, like literally every other school I've ever gone to in my life was a – private institution. Um, so I'm at the state public university, so I was like, oh my gosh, my demographics are going to be so different. Girl, it is Beverly Hills High School brought to a university. It's oh, like, wow. It's the same demographics. They're just the same thing. And it's like, so like, you know, when you watch like Legally Blonde, um, when she yeah. was like in her sorority house at the beginning, like that's what it looks like. So like, oh my God, you got jokes. You got jokes. <laughs> <laughs> This is academia in America. We need to tell the truth about it. Academia in America is about, like, is that for black people? But I'm very grateful to be here. I'm very grateful for this new opportunity that I have. I'm going to try to make the most of it. Um, and so here's where I am. I'm in a gender studies program, so you guys are going to hear me reading a lot of um, black feminist writings as the reflections that I share on the show. And I'll share a little bit as the season goes on about how my first year in my program is going. Um, I'm so excited because God is just so faithful to me. Um, and I'm also really excited because God has always had a sense of humor with me, and clearly that's continuing. So anyway, so that's where I am. And my co-host, Portia, girl, the Reverend Portia Demita Williams of Portionality. What's going on with you? <laughs> well, I'm like in a super, super interesting space. But before I talk about me, Jamie, I just want to say that I am super, super proud of you. I know, I know, I know. I am so proud of you. Um, please know that. Like, I, Pearls, please join me in congratulating Jamie. And as she is a doctoral student getting her PhD, hallelujah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know. That's, that's a major accomplishment, and, Jamie, we are so proud of you, and we are so grateful. Um, and Jamie is absolutely right when she said, well, when you said, <laughs> how we said and we kind of made this pact, like, we are not going to be in Connecticut by this time next year. Well, let me tell you something. I am still in Connecticut, <laughs> technically, right? I'm technically still in Connecticut. But give me another week and a half, starting October the 8th, I will be a resident of New Jersey, specifically mm. Newark, New Jersey. And so God gave me exactly what I asked for, full-time ministry in an urban neighborhood, Jamie. I said, I want to be in a bigger Bridgeport. Well, Newark, New Jersey is exactly that, a bigger yep. Bridgeport. So I am still on the East Coast. I'm still close to New York. I'm still close to family, but not so close to where – Folks is going to get in the car and drive into show up at the front door. I make a joke with my mom about that. But um, in any case, specifically what I will be doing in ministry, which I'm so grateful to God um, because I'm really doing full – I'm still doing full-time ministry, which is what 
I set out to do from the time I was 15. Yeah. I wanted to be a preacher. I wanted to be a pastor. I wanted to do that. So I had the awesome opportunity to be the pastor of youth and children at the Bethany Baptist Church in Newark, New Jersey, which is where I will begin my new journey on October the 8th. I'm so grateful, so thankful, so excited. I feel so passionate about youth ministry in this particular day and age. I feel so passionate about working with people under the age of 22 as we are in this this political climate, as we Mm -hmm. are seeing disaster around the world, whether it be natural disaster or man-made terrorism, I think it's so important right now to foster and to cultivate the lives of our young people. I think it's important to have the conversations with them about what's happening, but also giving them a space to share, a space to feel loved, a space to feel a space to feel appreciated, and a place of nurturing. And so I'm so grateful. Um, Back in around June-ish, actually a little bit before that, uh, May, I really started feeling this tug on my heart. This, you know, I felt like the change was coming, transition was about to happen. And I really felt this connection to returning back. So they say that the way out is back through. And so I'm having a Sankofa moment. So I had a Sankofa moment within Portia. And what I was always so passionate about before I went to um, – before I began the residency, was youth ministry. And so I could go back over the last 12 years of my life. I knew I wanted to be involved in youth ministry. I didn't really have a a solid chance to engage the youth ministry as much as I had wanted to at Mount Airy because I had to uh, fulfill the role of the pastoral assistant, which was like a broader role, Um, you know, literally being like right underneath the the senior pastor. And so I think that was a blessing um, in itself, being so broad in ministry and having such a perspective um, in terms of just, like, leading and pastoring. Um, But now I'm moving into more of a specific role, which I think is good for myself, um, and I think it's good for Bethany as well, someone as someone like me who's, um, who can relate to a lot of the kids in terms of, like, background and um, just, uh, just family dynamics and what have you, coming from a lot of, um, you know, two-parent homes, but also being in an urban community, I think coming from a, a, a mixed middle-class congregation going into a middle-class congregation I think is really um, interesting for me um, as well. And I think that this is a, a powerful thing. And so I'm really looking forward um, to being at Bethany. I'm looking forward to sharing and learning. And I can truly say when you give God what your desire is and where you see yourself, God hears us and God really takes that in. And to watch God move in our lives when we said we will not be in Connecticut by this time next year and God just opening up new doors and watching God work in that, I think it's so powerful. And so I'm very grateful that God helped me to return to a passion that I had before being um, the pastoral assistant and pastor in residence at Mount Airy to kind of returning to that place of wanting to work with youth and young adults and young people and children because I have such a passion. Um, I was a teacher for a very short-lived time, <laughs> and I have done a lot of um, youth organizing within the community of Bridgeport in the city of Bridgeport. I've done some youth organizing, and so I'm really excited to do the same work in a new space. Um, I'm, I'm expanding my wings. I'm leaving the nest. And I think it's good for us to go out and to explore new places and spaces and to just learn a little bit about who we are as individuals, but who, of what, who we are in terms of what we have to share in the communities and our churches. And so I'm very grateful that I am continuing full-time ministry in the church. Check me out, Jamie. <laughs> awesome. Um, everybody clap it up for Pastor Portia. Yes. <laughs> Y'all don't understand, if you're not in um, in ministry, especially a, well, let's just tell the truth about where churches are now. It's really difficult mm-hmm. to find a full-time ministry job. That's regardless of race, regardless of gender. It's really, really, really hard. Oh, you're um, talking right, James. It's unfortunately challenging for women of color to find these sorts of positions, especially in areas like youth ministry, which is something that Portia is really passionate about at this stage of her ministry. And so I'm so proud of you and so excited for you. Um, and we can't wait to hear all about your adventures and new work. Um, but I also want to, like, kind of pick your brain a little bit. Um, yeah. You know, 
as a women and gender studies black black woman um, expert that I'm becoming, um, I, I have to know the answers to all of my important black girl questions. So, <laughs> um, so I was thinking about you a lot because uh, I didn't share this really that much on the show last season, um, but last year I was invited to be part of a leadership cohort for the Lock Carey Baptist Forum Mission Convention, and it was a group for young pastors who are passionate about doing the work of missions. And Portia and I have talked about this offline, but I haven't really talked about it that much on the show. Uh-huh. And I was, I was kind of excited to be part of the cohort, kind of apprehensive, because um, as Portia has already said, it's really difficult to find full-time ministry positions. So in the past year, I have been in ministry full-time technically, but that was piecing together a couple different ministry jobs. It wasn't just one position that I had that got me to that full-time position. And I also knew at the time that I was applying to PhD programs, but I wasn't applying to PhD programs specifically in the area of religion. Um, I also knew that my ministry was very much outside of the um, you know, not that people who do ministry in church, that their ministry is not outside the four walls of the church, but I knew that the parish or local church setting was not necessarily what I was most called to, um, even though it's something that I do have skill in. And so I was uh, part of the cohort. It was um, mostly young men um, and three women in addition to me. All the young women in the group are at least six or seven years older than I am. And None of them are senior pastors. They have, like, high-level jobs in quite major black churches, um, but they're not senior pastors. Two of the women in the cohort were pursuing doctorate of ministry degrees. Um, so they're extremely qualified um, but had not been ordained in their local churches. We won't get into that, but we all know what I'm saying right now. And uh-huh. all the men in the cohort um, were senior pastors. And like I said, they were the same in age as the women in the cohort who are older than I am. So I don't necessarily expect that at 26 or 27 that we necessarily are senior pastors, although there are some who are definitely senior pastors at 25, disproportionately not women. The few who get to senior pastorate at the ages of 25, 26, 27 tend to be male. I'll put it that way. Within the black church context. It's different in different contexts. But within the black church context, it tends to be black men who get into those positions. So um, I had to leave the cohort because of this new opportunity that I'm pursuing. Um, But the last meeting of the cohort that I went to, um, there was a lot of talk. Um, I won't say who the pastor was or anything like that, but we were at a particular pastor's church, a a major church. And he was talking at length about his opportunities to mentor women. About, and how about how much easier it is for him to mentor men because he can take them on the road with him in a way that he can't take women on the road with him. He was also talking about um, um, basically the kinds of men who will follow women versus the kinds of, like, if you're a male pastor and no men are following you, what that says about you. I was, like, really kind of disturbed by the – I thought he was telling the truth. He definitely was telling the truth, um, but I was really disturbed by that truth, by the idea that – black men and even a lot of black women find it difficult or nearly impossible to follow a black woman, period, but especially a black woman in the context of being their pastor. A lot of people come to church expecting it to be like maybe the family that they don't have at home. So if like didn't have a father at home or um, if they don't have a husband and they want a husband, like the, the black male pastor takes on that, that role in their minds and their imaginations, whether they're conscious or unconscious of it. Okay, so that's my backstory. So while I was sitting in this meeting, I was really thinking a lot about my podcast partner, Portia. (laughs) And here's why. (laughs) Um, Part of the reason why I was excited to work with Portia on this podcast is because Portia really does have, first of all, you, Portia, you have a passion, as you just said, for ministry in urban settings. So first things first, that's important. Portia has a passion for that um, demographic. Um, but then secondarily to that, not only do you have that passion, but like God always opens the doors for you to be able to follow that passion. Um, mm. Although we see demographically that it's really difficult for women um, in the particular path that you're in. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just wondering, like, how do you find sources of 
collegiality? How do you find that you're able to express yourself, especially, like I said, a lot of the women in ministry who we meet, let's just be real, like they are over 35. We're not. Um, so where do you find places of collegiality, places that you're able to express yourself as like a woman of thinker, which is something that you are? Um, like how do you deal with this? Oh, that is a fantastic question, Jamie. Um, wow. <laughs> that, wow. Um, that's really interesting. And this, what I'm about to say, it may sound so simple, but it's so true. I really think it goes to remembering the call and the one who called me um, and the being authentic and true to that. I think that is what keeps me to be me. Um, I think that's what helps me to foster collegiality and relationships in ministry. I think that's what helps me to, to yeah, just to kind of just be present to the moment. And, I mean, if anyone who's ever, like, uh, con- like been in contact with me and, and you know in the public sphere, you know I come across really bubbly, really kind of just like out there, kind of like a big personality. Even though I'm I'm actually an introvert, uh, contrary to what everybody thinks of me publicly. <laughs> but no, really, like I think it goes back to just like my devotion time, remembering the call and the one who called me, and being true and authentic to that. And so. I think being intentional about pursuing relationships with people, um, one thing my pastor has taught me for years, like even before like working at Mount Airy, one thing that Pastor Bennett has always shared with me is ministry is relational. Um, and relational relationships must be intentional, but not intentional to the point where you're like, oh, look at me. I'm here. Let me give you my card. Let me get mm-hmm. in your face. Like, no, like, we don't have to do that. He's always shared with me, your gifts will make room for you. But I always kind of struggle with that as a woman because I feel like it's so easy sometimes for men, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, oh, tell a guy, oh, your gifts will make room for you. And then they're all walking in the door. And if we do the same exact thing, it feels like we're taking five steps back. But mm-hmm. I really just think it's, I think it's kind, of, it's kind of hard to put into words because I just, I really think it's about just going back to, you know, my center and being authentically Portia in that. Um, and, yeah, that's what I got, Jamie. <laughs> um, yeah. It's difficult. It's really difficult, um, especially trying to navigate waters, pastoral waters, uh, you know, church waters and trying to, you know, parish ministry, it's very difficult, you know, as a woman sometimes. And sometimes your greatest pushback doesn't come necessarily from men. It comes sometimes from the sisters. I, I you right. know, if I'm going to be honest as a womanist, you know, thinker, sometimes our greatest pushback isn't even the guys. The guys will be the guys. That's how they're wired. We don't make excuses for them. We should hold them accountable. When we see them doing things that they shouldn't be doing, we should call them out. And I call people out sometimes in church, like, hey, bruh, that's not okay, that's not cool, you know, that's really sexist of you, that's patriarchal of you. You know, I think we should make that space. But at the same time, I think sometimes our sisters in, in ministry or sisters and women in church, we don't always embrace other black women in power or black women in position or black women who have title holders. Okay, go ahead and tell the truth. Oh, yeah, I mean, I'm just calling it out today, you know, because this is a real experience. And so a lot of my pushback has, especially being 27, a lot, and, and when I got to Mount Area, I was 25 in terms of working, a lot of my pushback came from older women, like who were older than me, um, but at the same time, some of my greatest supporters have been older women too. Um, but, but when I mean older, I mean women who are, like, progressed to maybe, like, they're, like, 55 and, and up. Like, they've been nurturing because, like, they know the plight and they want to help foster. But I think getting to that point takes, yeah, getting to that point, it takes work. And people uh, know the journey. And so I've, I've been intentional about fostering relationships with the people who get it um, and then just being and, and guarding my heart and protecting my heart from those who kind of don't. But, um, yeah. <laughs> I've, the pushback I've gotten a lot is sometimes women in ministry, um, and it's like I think when we get to the place in ministry when we can be honest and authentic with each other to say ministry is not a competition. We're all working together for this, and we're each other's keepers. We're each other's you know partners in this. Like we are colleagues, 
and we are to love one another, and we're in this together, you know, and that's one thing I, I, I know I always take with me in ministry is knowing that ministry is not a competition. I don't envy nobody's pulpit. You know, I don't want nobody else's ministry. I want what God has for me. You know, my name is Portia, and I, I want what Portia has for Portia and what God has for Portia. And walking in that, um, the ministry can can be hard uh, in that. But that's that's what I got today. <laughs> yeah, that's what I got today. <laughs> well, I'm so grateful for your just for the level of commitment that you have to the work that you're called to do. And I hope that you'll be you'll continue to be you already are, and you'll continue to be just a source of encouragement to other women in ministry who are trying to be really faithful to their calls because I think I think it's, I think it's a it's a tough road. Um but it's it's rewarding and obviously God is God is well pleased with Portia. <laughs> well Portia is trying and sometimes it's a struggle but you know, it's all good. But Jamie <laughs> Yes ma'am I have a question for you. Okay. <laughs> so Jamie Jamie, 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 what <laughs> what encouragement do you have for women who want to pursue ministry but don't necessarily know that there's life outside of parish ministry, that there's different forms of ministry, and that there's ministry in academia, and then there's women in academia, so it's a two-part question. So for the women in academia, how can you encourage them to also know that there's a space for them, too, in the local church? Yeah, so I think, yeah, I think that's a great question, um, and it's something that I'm definitely currently working on. Maybe we need to get together a support group. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, that, and that kind of already happens online. That's why I'm really grateful for the conversation that we had with Liz and Melanie. Melanie is in the academy, obviously, and she's ordained. Um, so a couple weeks ago, you all missed it. We talked to the Millennial Womanism Project, Melanie Jones and Liz Alexander. Anyway, Melanie is a woman in ministry who's also in the academy. Um, there's, and then there are quite a few, actually, who are really prominent now who are doing that work. Um, you know, Renita Williams is definitely one of our foremothers who's a great example. Um, Katie Cannon is one of our foremothers, who's a great example. Um, and then currently women like Michelle Guidry and women like Melanie, who I just named, and women like Ebony Marshall-Turman, who's at Yale right now, um, are kind of my, like, inspirations who I look to because of the way that they balance their academic pursuits, which they all seem to take really seriously, with the call to do ministry. Um, but I'm also really inspired by people like, um, Dr. Carrie Day, um, who I think is at Princeton right now, and she always talks about how she, you know, she went to YDS too, um, but she was on the Master of Arts and Religion track. She has her PhD. She she teaches, and she talks about how for her teaching is really a call. And so what I think is really important is Portia and I are both in ordained ministry, which is a particular kind of call that we felt called to do. Um, but I think it's important for us to recognize that God has placed a high calling on each of our lives, right, this Bible. Um, <laughs> and so we all, regardless of what career that you're in, whether it's academia, whether it's ministry, whether it's something else, um, you have a call on your life, and you have a responsibility to figure out what that is and, like, actually live into it and be faithful to it. Um, and so just what I would say in terms of encouragement is, first of all, like I said, like, find your tribe. So that's something that I'm working on. I'm just kind of finding the other women who are like doing this work because we, we, we sink or, or swim together, I think. I think sometimes we're so focused on um, being seen and being seen as like, oh, I'm so-and-so, she's the next cutting edge thing. Like she's really on the rise. Sometimes, and by sometimes I mean often, <laughs> we need to take time just with us and the Holy Spirit to really discern what it is that we're supposed to be doing. We need to stop focusing so much on making moves and being seen by the world and, like, being popular on social media platforms or on the preaching circuit or on the panel conference circuit. And we need to focus on, like, but what is the Holy Spirit calling me to do right now? And you preach so for me and Portia, part of that was we were like, okay, well, we want to have this niche where we really can speak to other women in our generation 
And so for us, that was like, okay, one of the things we're going to do together is that we're going to have this podcast that's like specifically for the black millennial like Christian woman who's trying to make a difference in the world, right? So like that's, this is our thing that we do together. We do our, our blogs separate from each other, and we both have a particular like ministry that we're trying to do in the world through our blogs. Um, Portia and I don't both do different types of consulting separately, um, and that's part of the ministry that we do in the world. Um, and then we have, you know, Portia has her um, full-time ministry that she does. Um, I'm now getting into full-time academics, um, but it's going to continue to be like a process. I don't think at any stage of my life, as long as there's still breath in my body, there's breath in my body for a reason, and that's because I'm still growing, I'm still changing, I'm still maturing, and so I still need to take that time just to be with the Holy Spirit and, like, figure out, like, okay, like, what is it that I'm supposed to be doing? Because I, you know, as, in as much as I've gone through this transition where I feel like, okay, thank you, God, for bringing me to this point that I wanted to be at, it's, like, it's not over. Like, this is the beginning of a new and, like, differently challenging journey. Um, and so I've definitely, like, even being here now, classes start this week, um, and I'm definitely, like, already feeling, like, just, the, the stress. So I was going to ask you guys to pray for me because I'm already feeling the stress um, of this new thing that God is doing in my life. I'm not, I'm like Portia and I, I think we both can say this because uh, Portia just said this. Like, I'm like really introverted. I'm like really afraid of like building relationships with new people. Like, that's something that scares me. So like Portia's like, oh, I want to connect you with so-and-so. I'm like, ah, ah, ah. Extroverted tendencies in the way, like, so people see me out and they actually do meet me. I'm going to be friendly. I'm going to be, you know, gracious, whatever. Um, because I think that's the way that I've been socialized as a female creature in the world that I like need to be bubbly and kind and gracious. Not that I'm not that person on the inside, but just that I have to kind of play it up, right? Um, and so people tend to think I'm an extrovert, but I'm like, no, this is me using a whole lot of energy right now. Um, I, so, yeah, so I'm kind of apprehensive, and I'm also, like, a really passionate person. So the friendships that I have cultivated on the East Coast are, like, family to me. And so, um, and I don't always say that enough because. Oh, I, I love you too, Jamie. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, and so it's really great because it's like it's opening up a new door. It's a new chapter. But at the same time, I'm like, okay, this is a little scary um, for this introverted girl who behaves as though she's an extrovert on occasion. Portia also has seen me behave in very, very scarily introverted ways. Um, <laughs> but anyway, I would to go back to Portia's question, I'm like, just take time to be with the Holy Spirit. Figure out what it is because God has placed, you know, so many of us say, like, well, I don't know what my gift is. Like, no. God has placed a call on each and every single one of our lives. And we have to figure out how to use this breath that we have in our body for this finite amount of time that we have on the planet to actually make a difference in the world and live into our whole self. And so we always see on the show, Cultivate the Pearl Within You. So work on that. Cultivate the pearl within you. <laughs> Cultivating the pearl within you. And so that is our, um, I call it the second tagline because, you know, we're adventures in pearls, but then it's like cultivate the pearl within you. So get on that pearl. Speaking of pearls, um, one of our pearls, um, a member of the Pearly Posse, has sent us a letter. Can we respond to it? Yes. Okay. So this letter is from a lady named Yanni. Her full name is Yolanda, but she goes by Yanni. And um, she has a podcast called Her Praise. Anyway, so Yanni has written to us, hi, Jamie and Portia. On one episode, one of you mentioned that you wanted to go to law school, but that you took another direction and went to seminary. I did the opposite. I went to law school and graduated. You go, girl. I enjoy criminal defense work. I used to work for a county public defender's office. She worked out, uh, she helps out with re, uh, the reentry court assisting formerly incarcerated individuals to reintegrate back into society. She has yet to take the bar because she's also a single mother, and her work keeps her really busy. So along with her financial concerns, it's just never been the, she calls it, quote, unquote, right time. She planned to take a leave of absence for the February bar because the fact is that she did not work full-time and study full-time. The goal, she thought, was to progress after passing the bar to become a federal defender and settling into her job. So more and more she's questioning whether or not she made a bad choice um, about whether or not this is truly her purpose. 
She feels like God is pushing her out of the office and maybe out of this particular career path. In her youth, she was always involved in church. Um, she loved her Bible camps. She loved ministry. In college, she took religious elective courses and courses related to philosophy, the Bible, literature, etc. She has a great background in nonprofit work, um, which is what she was doing when she decided to apply to law school. Um, she really went to the first law school that she was accepted into. It was challenging for many reasons. Um, but finances are always a concern for her. She recently assigned for, applied for a part-time um, paid staff position at her church after three um, intense interviews. Um, the church decided to expand the hours, which meant that she couldn't do it because it conflicted with her full-time job. And um, so she had to thank the church and turn the job down because she had a concern about her finances. Um, so there are some full-time positions that open up from time to time. Um, she's tried to be in various ministry positions. And so anyway, so she's a federal um, employee, um, and it's part of her contract that she can't become too politically involved or too involved with religion, which makes her feel really stifled because she wants to speak out on issues like Black Lives Matter, issues with police, government, et cetera, but she feels touched. Outside of being heavily involved in church growing up, um, she's also been thinking about taking on institutional racism, um, and on the side, she helps to address discrimination, consult, support individuals who report matters, and to represent them. Okay, so here's the rest of the, word, the story. She's um, told herself that if she takes the bar in February and passes, she will tackle her next goal and get a certificate in Christian ministry from the New York Theological Seminary, um, which has satellite sites in her area. She also finds herself exploring Dallas Theological Seminary's online programs, which would take longer to complete. She does not feel called to preach, but she does feel called to have an advanced understanding to contribute to ministry in a meaningful way, to allow her faith to freely spill over into her career. Um, and she has no fears. She would leave her job today if she could. She's not sure of the career path that would combine her passions regarding faith with the lawyer skill set. Okay. So she wants our guidance kind of on um, why we settled on uh, seminary and kind of, of um, I guess, her own future, kind of what kinds of choices perhaps that she should consider. Hmm. Hmm. I'm going to let that marinate for a second, Jamie. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so, I'm going to let that marinate. Yeah, so Yanni, thank you so much for your question. I hope you're listening to our response. Um, so right off the top of my head, I will say that um, I was the one who talked about um, potentially having gone to law school um, and about how um, I went into ministry instead. Um, and Portia didn't say this on the show, but Portia also had a full other set of things she was considering in addition to going to seminary. So for neither oh, of yes. seminary or bus. Um, that's what it has ended up being, but that's not what it was when we were applying to seminaries. We'll put it that way. You know, you're going back and forth about it, but I think unlike law school, unlike business school, unlike med school, um, seminary is one of those things where it's like, I think it is important to actually take the time and make sure that this is what you're called into. Um, because it is a very different type of professional degrees from other types of professional degrees that people pursue. So I think it's good that you are kind of going back and forth about it and thinking about it a lot and taking a whole lot into consideration here. And then I'll also say that um, I'm not a mother at all, definitely not a single mother. So we knew plenty of super busy mothers who we went to divinity school with, and it was challenging for them, but we have a good friend who we graduated with in three years. Um, so all things are possible with God. So definitely don't feel like, you know, because of your daughter that there's a decision that you should or should not make. And it is, you know, my parents were in the military, so I saw them going to college when I was growing up. And it was inspiring for me to see my parents in school, to be able to sometimes attend classes with them and sit in the back and do my own homework and study next to them at home. And so I would say that it's a great example to see you, A, pursuing your passion, and B, like, going to school, getting further education about something that you're passionate in. So I'll respond. So um, as one thing you were, um, as we were reading um, the question, Jamie, I thought about um, my best friend Liz. And Liz's mom was in seminary when Liz was a little girl. And 
watching her mom in seminary was one of the pivotal moments of her life. And so she is now, um, Elizabeth is now um, in ministry, um, as, as we are, and that was a defining moment for her, watching her mom in ministry. And so I think that for children to see their parents doing something, a lot of times either they're going to pursue the same thing or maybe they won't. So, well, it might be a cool thing to go through that journey together, um, you know, because we did see lots of moms. I remember um, Dr. Sharp saying and uh, Dr. Tisdale both saying how they were both pregnant in their PhD programs, and it was like, what? And having children. And I remember Allison um, Grosecki having kids um, who were in high school and then college while we were at uh, YDS, but them mm-hmm. watching their mother go to school and their daughter, uh, Allison Grosecki's daughter, learned how to do Hebrew at five years old because she saw her mother practicing Hebrew. And so I think it's definitely possible. It takes commitment. And something I noticed, especially specifically the black community, we don't always allow ourselves to see the possibility of doing multiple things and still being committed to our family lives, that just because we have children, just because we have finances and obligations, it does not mean that we don't pursue our call or what God is calling us to do. But I also echo what Jamie said is that ministry and pursuing a seminary is a very intentional thing. Uh, Because if I had it any other way at 21 years old when I was applying to school, seminary was probably not like the first thing on my mind. Um, You know, just going to keep it real, right? Because seminary brings pressure. Um, what people think it means on the outside for people who don't really understand what seminary is, they, they perceive us in a particular way, but then there's also the work. Like, it's rigorous. Like, MDIS, like seminary is not, you know, easy, and it's not something to be like, oh, you know, I'll just do this for fun. No, like, it's, it's something very intentional. So I say if it's something you want to do, there are resources and there are people who will support you. There are people um, who, will, who can be in connection and fellowship and community with to really make it happen. And I will say this, uh, on the other side of seminary, uh, life after the resurrection, it is quite beautiful. Um, <laughs> you know, Jamie. You know, it's quite beautiful. It, and I tell you the, the rewarding feeling of being complete and saying it is finished, even though that's not quite what Jesus meant. But, you know, the work was finished. So, you know, I get it. It was, it was finished and it was done. And it felt so good. And so um, congratulations on getting a JD because that's popping, you know. Um, and JDs and MDivs, they, they do the dual degrees and people uh, merge those degrees all the time. Actually, there's a woman who comes to uh, my church or well, well, I'm getting ready to leave to start my new job, but y'all know. Um, and she's actually a lawyer and a preacher, and she pastored and did um, and did law. And so um, it's it's very it's very possible to marry those two degrees and those two fields together. Yeah, actually, my friend Michael's in a JDMDiv program too. So yeah, it's mm-hmm. it's very possible um, to 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 use your academic interest and your practice, law practicing skills and going into uh, your an MDiv if that's what the Lord is calling you to do. Um, but whatever God is calling you to do, whoever you are listening out there, pursue what God has called you to do and, and chase that wholeheartedly and love it. Um, you know, it may seem kind of like, ugh, at first, but guess what? You will feel so much better on the other side, on this side of the glory. <laughs> right, Jamie? That's true. So thank you so much, Yanni, for your question, um, and we look forward to hearing from you more in the future and hearing kind of what you plan to do, um, and it sounds like you are definitely planning to take the bar in February, so we hope that goes really well for you. And any of our other listeners, if you have questions for the show, reach out to us on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Just Two Pearls, or you can send us an email at adventures at justtwopearls.com. Reverend Portia, what's coming up next? What's coming up next? We've got something really, really special. we got a new, 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 new thing coming, and they are the bow ties. Stay tuned and keep listening for more of our bow ties. Yes.
All right, Pearl. So we have a very special treat for you this week. We are, for our second season, making quite a few changes. And so one of the changes is that we want to introduce to you the bow ties. And the bow ties are kind of a spin-off group of just two pearls. And one of the things that we have learned from our audience is that they like hearing from millennial clergy girls in pearls. And so our spin-off group, the bow, the bow ties, are a group of millennial clergy guys in bow ties. They are Jeremy Williams, Quadri Harris, Brandon Harris, no relation between those two guys, and uh, Rashad. I'm Rashad. Rashad's last name is not His Rashad. name is Moore. Rashad Moore. And so we are so grateful to have them on the show this season. And so we're going to go ahead and introduce them to you on this episode and uh, ask them a little bit of a question to get them all started sharing a little bit with you about who they are. And then throughout the season, tune in, because when you least expect it, a bow tie is going to pop up on Just Two Pearls to share his unique perspective on some of the topics we're discussing during season two. And so without further ado, we're going to just jump right in with Mr. Rashad, 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 Raymond Moore. And so... The Reverend Rashad Raymond Moore is a doctoral student in philosophy and education at Teachers College of Columbia University, an alumnus of the most prestigious HBCU for men, Morehouse College and Union Theological Seminary. Rashad is a passionate teacher, preacher, and scholar. His research interests are centered in the, on the history and philosophy of African-American education, as well as concepts pertaining to joy, becoming, and imagination. Rashad is currently serving as the Assistant Minister for Ministries at the Abyssinian Baptist Church in the city of New York. Pearls, welcome, welcome, Rashad Raymond Moore. Hey, Rashad. Hey, how y'all doing? Hey, we're so glad that you're here with us. And so, Rashad, I've got this question for you. So I'm so glad that you're going to be on the show in the future. But first and foremost, you've written about the topic of black joy. What is black joy and where do we locate it? So I would say that my – so the concept of black joy was not an original idea that I came up with, but I realized that – it became a major part of um, online conversations the summer of 2015. I remember we were talking about Black Lives Matter starting in 2012, 2013, 2014, and I believe that the summer of 2015 is really when we started making an intentional effort to talk about joy. 2015 was the summer um, when a black book club was pushed off of a wine train in Napa Valley. It was the summer where a young girl was pushed to the ground by a police officer in Texas. And it was also this summer where we saw nine people killed and gunned down in their church during prayer service. And so for me, it led to a conversation about the threat of black joy. So before we can talk about Black Lives Matter, we also have to talk about the fact that for many of us as black people in America, we're also denied opportunities to talk about joy. When I talk about black joy, I kind of, approach it from a theological standpoint, one of the arguments that I make is that we don't talk about joy in the black church enough. I think that black people, black Christians who sit in black churches on Sunday, I think sometimes to our um, distress, we are kind of exposed to the crucifixion narrative more than we should be. You know, you can go into a black church on Christmas morning and still hear that he hung his head and he was stretched wide, even on Christmas morning. So my argument is that we have to be more intentional as ministers, as clergy, to talk about what it means to experience the joy of our salvation. And I, I think when I talk about joy, it's not only a theological thing, it's, a, it's an everydayness to it, that even as young millennials who are committed to the church, it is also the fact that a lot of us lose our sense of joy for the cause of Christ and for the cause of ministry. So the work and the calling that we know that we've been called to do sometimes becomes a burden when we don't think about intentionally what it means to have joy and to live out our calling with joy. So that's where the concept of black joy comes from. That's why I love talking about it. Great. Thanks, Rashad. We're so looking forward 
to everything you will share about Black Joy and even more things to come in the future. Well, thank you. Jamie, who do we have next? Okay, up next we have Reverend Brandon Harris. He is the Protestant chaplain for the Law Center and Main Campus at Georgetown University in Washington, D.C. He is an alumnus of Lincoln University of Pennsylvania and Emory University's Candler School of Theology. He is ordained in the American Baptist Churches USA and the Progressive National Baptist Convention. Brandon's work centers around racial identity formation, homiletics, and the intersections of religion, higher education, and innovation. He now lives in Washington, D.C. with his beautiful wife, Tiffany, and he enjoys cooking, exploring cities, and more. So thank you so much for being with us today, Brandon. I have one question for you. Um, As a university chaplain, how are you using faith and theology to help the students you work with work through some of the challenges of the current political landscape? Yeah, first of all, uh, glad to be here, Pearls. Um, You know, that's a great question, Jamie. Being in D.C. and being at a university like Georgetown, which uh, really politics is kind of the center of the university life, uh, I'm called upon every day to think about the way that Theology helps give my students meaning uh, in this current political moment. Uh, and also mindful that, uh, that there's a sense of despair uh, in some senses in the city of DC, um, no matter what one's political affiliation is, uh, there's a sense of anxiety amongst my students. So I have a number of students uh, who graduated last year who still do not have government assignments. They're waiting to find out mm-hmm. if they'll even have a job. Um, I have students who are dreamers who are affected by DACA uh, and the repeal of it uh, who were in my office the day that it was announced uh, and wondering if they can go home on break uh, and fearing that they might be deported. And so we live in this world, uh, at least at Georgetown, uh, where I'm caught between uh, two segments of students and two very different populations. Uh, And so theologically, I try to provide them with a grounding First of all, of their sense of identity in God, uh, despite the trials, despite the political moment, uh, what is our sense of history and theology? Who has God been in the past uh, for us, and who can God be for us now? Uh, and also, really, lately, I've just been preaching hope um, mm-hmm. and reminding our students of hope uh, and to have hope uh, and that they, we can get through this. Uh, we do have the resources, both spiritually and intellectually uh, and emotionally, Uh, to go through this moment. Um, So it's a constant reminder of looking back at who can God be uh, within our world and how is God active uh, within the world around us. Awesome. It sounds like important work that you're doing there at the university, Brandon. Thank you so much. And uh, I'm going to introduce one more bow tie, um, Quadri P. Harris. Quadri is a native of Mount Vernon, New York. His immediate family now resides in the Bronx. He considers the Bronx to be his second hometown. His primary education is a product of Mount Vernon's public school system and his beloved high school, Cardinal Spellman. In 2014, Quadri graduated magna cum laude from Pace University, which is in Pleasantville, New York, as a dual major in philosophy and religious studies. He is now in his third and final year at Yale University's Divinity School. His research interests deal with black religions in the African diaspora, Christian theology and ethics. Figures that have influenced Quadri's work include Paul Tillich, James Cone, Jacqueline Grant, and Kelly Brown Douglas. Born and bred in the Baptist church, coming out of the black radical tradition, Quadri is convinced that God is black and that she is not pleased with the poor treatment of people of color in this nation and around the world. Whoa, I've never read that at the end of anyone's bio. Hello, Quadri. <laughs> How you doing, Pearls? Pleasure to be here on this evening. Thank you for being here. So, Quadri, I'm yes. on this show, this episode, we have discussed a letter that we received from a listener who is considering theological education, and you were in your third year at Yale Divinity School. So what advice do you have for someone who might be considering theological education? Yeah, so this is a similar conversation I used to have with um, high school students when I was advising them about college applications and things along that nature, right? Um, And what I always would tell them is that 
uh, undergraduate degree um, in today's society is almost the equivalent of what a high school diploma was 50 years ago. And what I mean by that is very rarely now, with few exceptions, do you find people um, going into professions based on what they studied in their four years of college and undergrad, right? So I typically was advising those students to go into these universities and colleges and study something that piqued their interest, right, something that they enjoyed, right, use the undergraduate experience as an opportunity to broaden one's scope of knowledge, learn how to think critically about various issues and about um, their own personal worldviews and things like that, right? When it came to um, applying to graduate and or professional schools, um, seminary and divinity schools being one of those, right, I definitely think that decision should be um, more of a discernment process uh, than the undergraduate application. And what I mean by that is um, for divinity school and seminary in particular, if one is pursuing an MDiv degree, which is um, for most denominations the requirement for ordination, um, it is a significant time commitment and money commitment. I would recommend to students considering a theological education um, to make sure that this is what you want to do as a vocation and or as a career. I think seminary, even if you don't necessarily know what that looks like, um, having a certain sense that this is the field that you want to be in. I think theological education is a wonderful opportunity to figure out uh, what exactly one's vocation or one's career in church or related disciplines and uh, related institutions look like. Um, being one myself that doesn't know what that is for me yet, I'm still working on that going into my final year um, and hammering out um, where exactly I'll find myself. But I was certain before I applied to various divinity schools and seminaries that this was the field that I felt I'd be serving the world best in. Um, so just having that, not certainty may not be the right word, but understanding that this is the the rough route and guideline that one wants to follow is really important because, again, it is a significant time commitment and a financial investment in oneself. Uh, so you want to be somewhat sure that this is what you want to go into. Well, thank you, Quadri. You're the man. Yes. And Quadri... We are so grateful that you're here. We're actually grateful that all of our bow ties are here, and we've actually got one more bow tie. But before we get into that, i got to do my favorite, favorite thing. And, Quadri, I think you know what this is. Oh, it's yes. The pearl. But the <laughs> petty pearl, right, is the petty bow tie today. It's the bow tie edition. And so just like the pearls, which we, um, on our very first episode, where we talked about how the pearls represent something that is precious it represents something of prestige, but it also is something that we hold near and dear to our hearts, whether we inherit it from someone, um, from another woman, whether it's something that we hold dear because our colleges and our schools helped it to be a part of our lives. We also know that the bow tie has a meaning for men. And so, you know, out here in these streets, you know, the bow tie. I love the bow tie. But let me explain something real quick. So, you know, class and structures, family structures aside, you know, I, I it really, like, bog, like boggles my brain, right? When I see a grown man, right, with a bow tie and it's a clip-on. Now, Say that. Now, Say that. Now, oh, now, now, come on, somebody. Y'all feel me, right? So oh, I yeah, feel after a certain stage, you know, now, if we at you know, galas, and we can spend a thousand dollars at the table, which I'm not there yet. But I'm like, if we can be at that level, but we still pop in bow ties that are clip-ons or ties that are clip-ons, bruh, there is way too much YouTube, way too many Pinterest, and too much Instagram to not know how to tie that bow tie. Like, come on, we gotta do better. We gotta be excellent. And so these snap-on bow ties got to go. You know, tap a brother, tap a neighbor, you know, even tap a sister, because there's some sisters who know how to tie some classy bow ties, you know, and, and neckties. So if you got to, you know, go out to your black tie event, you got your tuxedo right, bruh, don't get the clip on. Do not get the clip on, because that just doesn't look good. Like, that's not a good look. You feel me? Oh, yeah, no, nah, that's facts. 
<laughs> well, thank y'all. Thank y'all, thank y'all for not leaving me hanging on that one. And so I just had to share about that, you know, my petty moment of the day. And so we thank y'all, you know, just for being here with us, rocking with us. And so, Pearls, our fourth and final bow tie who is joining us on this evening is none other than the Reverend Jeremy L. Williams. And so Reverend Jeremy L. Williams, MDiv, is a nationally sought-out speaker. He is a millennial visionary, gifted teacher, published author, and Bible PH candidate at Harvard University. Hailing from Huntsville, Alabama, he continues to expand his horizons and live in the mantra of his ministry, which is to dream better dreams. Pastor Jeremy has traveled the footsteps of the Apostle Paul in Greece and Turkey, studied religion in Morocco, Africa, and climbed the Great Wall of China. He has been blessed to earn degrees from some of the world's leading universities, Vanderbilt for his bachelor's degree in religious study and economics, and Yale University for the Master of Divinity. He knows eight languages, including the biblical languages of Greek and Hebrew. He has served as a senior pastor in New England, written two books, Can I Have This Dance and Wireless Discipleship, and is an awarded member of Kappa Alpha Psi Fraternity Incorporated. He is a CME who loves the Lord and is passionate about making people aware of who they are in Christ and who Christ is in them. Everybody, welcome to the show, Reverend Jeremy L. Williams, our bow tie. Great to have you, Jeremy. Thank you for having me, Portia. And so... We're going to ask you a question as well, Jeremy. And folks say that the academic study of the Bible can diminish your faith. How have your academic studies informed your Christian faith? So this is all about faith, Jeremy. Let us know what it is. Mm. Uh, this, this is a really good question. Um, <laughs> and it's actually one that, that I spent a lot of my time thinking about, especially um, in the work that I do. And, and actually... I started studying the Bible academically in undergrad, and I probably could even go beyond that. And and what I've discovered is that the study of the Bible is similar to a study about God, and that the more I learn, the more I want to know. And and, and I discover that sometimes um, the more that I learn, the less I n- <laughs> actually knew to start out in the first place. And so what's really been powerful about studying the Bible from an academic perspective is that I've learned to learn God's word and to learn about God in ways that I had previously um, not even thought of as options. And so what's powerful to me is that studying the text and being able to dig into it in deeper ways that Often people, they, and I think they're right when they say that when we engage in these texts, we lose our faith. And often people think that, that that is the worst and the greatest thing that can happen with this type of education. But what I've discovered in my training is that by studying the word deeply, that I did indeed lose my faith. I lost the way that I had previously read these texts. I lost the way that I had found meaning in them. But what I regained after learning how to look at them with new eyes and new lenses is worth way more than I had at the beginning, that, that I've gained so much, that, that actually, by what some would call losing my faith, I've gained a richer faith that can engage with different arguments, different perspectives, and that can actually be able to see how these texts are not only things about building faith in some abstract way, but they're useful for, for giving frameworks or how to speak out for the marginalized, how to read text in ways that uplift women, especially black women, even though often in the context we come from, they're used to do the exact opposite, that, that these texts are powerful for, for setting the captive free, for looking out for the immigrant and for those who are oppressed. And so I lost the faith. And I lost the way of reading text that made it seem as if those those options were not open to me and that only kind of a form of oppression and a, and a, this narrative of, of abstract faith was primary to actually gain a faith, the type of faith I believe Jesus had, 
that was to set the captives free, to open the eyes of the blind, and to proclaim the year of God's favor. And so the academic study, in a lot of ways, and a lot of times I discuss it, has actually set me free and saved me in ways that I hadn't been saved before. We love it. Thank you so much, Jeremy, and thank you to all of our bow ties, uh, Jeremy Williams, Brandon Harris, Quadri Harris, and Rashad, 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 I can remember now, Rashad Raymond Moore. Sorry about that. And uh, we are so grateful for all four of these guys and for the ways that they are doing ministry in ways that are uplifting and liberating for women, for men, for all marginalized people. And we're just so grateful that they're going to be contributors throughout this second season of Just Two Pearls. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Just Two Pearls. And you can email us at adventures at just2pearls.com. And remember, cultivate the pearl within you.